Whenever I speak with someone, I learn something. I gain additional insight and I see the world, albeit temporarily, through another's eyes. Thereafter, it stays with me somehow, this vision, perspective or approach. I sometimes feel the reasoning behind it, especially when there is a defining principle involved. And when those thoughts appeal to my passions and ideas, they solidify all the more. Drab is unpredictable. He sees the world through his target. He has a goal he wishes to achieve. For the purposes of our talk, the goal we relate to here is the promotion of the Wheel of Time, both as a show and as a series of books. He has fixed opinions on how social media platforms can be used to further this agenda, and he is critical of supposed gatekeepers, the popular public profiles that seek to push people off a particular platform and onto their pages to generate clicks and cash. He understands it, of course, he just doesn't like it, because it deters from the goal, the promotion of a body of work, which, when understood properly, will help the reader or viewer become more in tune with the morality of the medium. The Wheel of Time is an expansive world of diversity that seeks to highlight the benefits of inclusion above self-aggrandizement. Drab can be very colourful in his observations and use of similes. Thank you, Drab. It's always a pleasure to listen to your thoughts. So here we go. Drab, thank you very much. You're back again, um, a lot quicker than we thought, actually, <laughs> last week. So I'm really grateful for your, uh, your, your repeat showing. It's great to be here, Zach. No. So just in case anybody doesn't know nobody knows really except for drab and i but basically i screwed up last week um and with my mic settings and it was so bad the audio on my end um that i couldn't actually um you know with any sort of correct conscience put it up um as a podcast with drab and so therefore um he has very graciously accepted the invitation to come and not quite repeat but um yeah, do another show with me so i'm very very grateful for that drab thank you very much uh, yeah, I mean, uh, glad we get to do it correctly no. this time. Yeah, hopefully, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Um, but we talked about some very interesting things uh, last time out, and I may actually uh, put in um, some of your your comments from from last week anyway, because uh, I think your you know, a lot of your points were very much um, yeah on on point or on target, as it were. Um, but just to just to get into it then. Um, Wheel of Time, season one. Yeah, what would you say? Glad that it's here. Uh, I've, I've been telling myself to always say, talk about the Wheel of Time in the present tense instead of the past tense. Like instead of saying, I watched the Wheel of Time, I say, I watched the Wheel of Time. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm glad it's here. Yeah, you're doing, um, so following your Twitter feed, you're, you're doing a, a re, 
run through, aren't you? You're going through the, each episode again at the moment. Um, and last week, you sort of said that if you want to sort of deep dive into it, this is the kind of thing that you would do. Um, are you diving deeply into the Wheel of Time as we speak? Right now, I'm just re-watching, but I'm trying to think about the way I present the series on Twitter. And I think... Um, Right now, I'm just putting out the episode titles in a thread. And then I think once I get to episode eight, then I'll start making a thread of each one of the tweets in the thread. Okay. All right. So you're creating uh, a kind of uh, expansive sequence, uh, which essentially tells the story of each episode but not necessarily as episodes in themselves, but as part of a, a, an overall larger thread, as it were. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to go into each scene and each cut and really dissect the entire series, and then reference, go back and reference the book series with uh, within the same sort of thread. Yeah. And, and, and what are you trying to achieve through doing that? Is in are you, are you trying to achieve a greater sort of synergy between the written material and the uh, the TV show? Or, or is there some other intention that you wish to uh, you know, exhibit? I think the platform of Twitter is very... Uh, I forget what the word is, but like it, like it, it's not a good reference material like it's constantly updating and the past is moving quickly away from us and so I want to make a sort of reference material but since I'm always adding to it then it'll continue to be relevant and then a good reference because it's always going to be recurring on my feed. So when season two starts, I can go back to my season one thread and then quickly run through it and reference what I'm looking for, like within the application. Mm, okay. I mean, how does it, you, we established last week um, that you are uh, at least uh, a Twitter expert in comparison to me, whether or not you would accept that particular moniker, I don't know, but um, so, you know, if you if you let's say you started the sequence and then in I don't know two months time you come to add the final touches. Um, throughout that period of time, you would have amassed a certain number of likes or a certain number of viewings of your various tweets. Um, how does that um, amplify the, the the design of what you are doing? Uh, over a period of time as in does that provide it with a greater amount of awareness or as in do more people get to see it as a result it's kind of counterintuitive and kind of cheating like at the same time because if i made a mis if i made a thread like that and it had been up for you know a year or whatever and i saw a mistake then i would probably copy the content of all of the tweets that are like downstream of it and then delete the whole thing and remake it with without the error in it. 
but the thing is twitter doesn't uh, it's not as cumulative with twitter as as i think what you're saying like i can't i can't store up value in a thread and then uh and then try to profit from it later it's not that conservative the only value of the thread would be the content and not the likes or the engagement or whatever okay all right so it wouldn't necessarily then um uh, yeah, accumulate because when i i see lots of different um threads written by people and there are always different numbers of likes per tweet so if you've got a, a thread of like 10 tweets then you, normally the original tweet gets the most number of likes uh, and then there are sort of d disparate levels throughout the thread um over time does this not also build up in these cases uh, th through what you might be doing it would uh i just really what i'm doing is more like for myself and then hoping other people will be in that mindset to take advantage of it later but really it's just a place on the internet to organize my thoughts so i can always have new content come out on my Twitter feed that other people would see. And I would want like, oh, I hope this gets viral, but then it would also be connected to a thinking process that I, that I have ongoing. So I, it, it's more for my own advantage and then for reference. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So as you watch to keep it in the present, the wheel of time, um, you know, what bits do you like the most? What, what bits do you look at? Or are you currently viewing and thinking I'm looking forward to that scene? Because you know what's coming. I think the things I value the most are the dialogue. Because that's the closest the show can get to like a book is the actual text of the words that they're saying and then after that it would be the on-screen presence of the book components so like if rand is on screen then i can write down rand and that makes sense in terms of referencing the book Whereas if there's a plant behind Rand, I don't want to go into prog like encyclopedias on what those plants might be and then write down the name. So I'm not that interested in some of the content of the visual like screen. Like some of that is not important to me. And then some parts are important to me. And those parts that are important are the things that are directly um, referenced in the books. Okay, all right. Um, and, and sort of scenes-wise um, or, or plot line-wise, um, what are your sort of favorite bits so far from, from the series? The combat is fun because uh, I've always read the books as like 
I couldn't really I couldn't really imagine what they were doing because I'm not a sword fighter or whatever. <laughs> but it felt it All felt right. really fun. But now watching the combat um, is fun. I also like the scenery and like the the texture of their clothing and the buildings and the nature elements. Uh, I was recently uh, reading an article about sound and the sound designers were like, oh, we really love the horses because it connected everything. They were saying in other projects they were on, they would use automobiles to connect uh, the sound. Like the, the automobiles are outside and you're inside or you're walking down the street and the automobile goes by. But they said that they really use the horses in the Wheel of Time um, to connect everything. And that sort of flavor and texture, the sound and the visual, like what they're wearing and eating and you know the sort of dirt on their face, that sort of stuff is really enjoyable for me. Mm, okay, all right. Um, but but the but the storyline elements because there there are lots of um, parts or um, sort of additional plots or twists I should say um, which the books don't have um, and, and this was I I've read in some sort of blog posts that um, this was in some way to provide um, a more dynamic explanation for some of the characters' moods or personalities. Uh, so, for example, um, this, uh, I suppose, with Matt, he's a bit blasé. Um, and, yeah, psh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Money comes, money goes, that kind of thing <laughs> in, the, in the books. But um, um, there's no real basis for for that character development within the books, some people say. And so, therefore, having this, um, having him uh, presented as um, the child of uh, a troubled marriage with uh, sort of gambling issues um, will help to further, shall we say, uh, you know, explain his behavior later on in the story. It, obviously, Perrin is uh, very, very clear what kind of a detour they took there. Um, do you see that with their, with their storylines? For me, I've always read the books in a more schematic sort of way so the characters aren't necessarily uh present to me in a i guess what I, for me the characters are very much like dungeons and dragons like lawful evil and then chaotic good so it's a schematic. It's not so much the narrative that they're going through or how I, how I would treat them if I were in the same room. Whenever I see their behavior, I'm like, this is part of the schematic. And for me, looking at the characters in the show and then looking back at the characters in the books, they follow the same sort of schematic that the author was intending to have running in the background where Ren has these friends over here and those friends over there and they're different. And the difference between them is something that Rand contemplates and uses to make his own decisions. So Egwene and Nanive are in balance with each other and then Perrin and Matt are in balance with each other. 
And then all four of them in this sort of balancing act inside of Rand's head helps him make the decisions that move the plot forward. And that happens in the books and then it happens exactly the same way in the show. So if Matt is acting idiosyncratically like different, like if his motions or his, or his personal history isn't exactly the same, it really doesn't matter to me because he's fulfilling the same purpose for the story, which is to help Bran and to move the plot forward. Mm. Okay. Um, but do you think that Rafe took this approach because clearly with a TV series, you don't have the length of time um, that a book would give you to develop characters, um, especially with a kind of series that has only eight parts to it. Uh, so, so they had to really deliver the, the, the sort of background to these characters and the reasons why they're so, um, so willing to get up and leave, as it were, to, to break with this, uh, you know, this lifestyle, which is the only thing that they've ever experienced. Because normally, under, I, I guess, under normal conditions, it would be extremely rare for practically you know, the entire next generation of uh, the more prominent families uh, within a village to just get up and go. So therefore, by having these different uh, backgrounds, um, the show producers gave us some form of realism uh, to what was going on there. Uh, for me, the argument between what the fans want and what the showrunners want is very much like the argument between Egwene and Rand, the ongoing argument um, with Egwene and Rand in the series. I'm trying to think of a way not to spoil the series. <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? So, so Rand is all about um, him. Like, this is my idea. I want to, I want to start with my idea and then finish my idea. And then Egwene is like, "There's all these things that you have to take into consideration. Why don't we use what we have and build on top of that?" And uh, so the fandom is very much like, why don't you use the books and build on top of that? And But from a showrunner's perspective, there's a process in, involved that doesn't start, that doesn't necessarily start with the books. So you start with an analysis of everything that you have, and then you break that down into a system. And then you look at your show and you start from the bottom in a process that is a synthesis. So you start with the books over here, do an analysis, then you're done. Then you start over with something new and you synthesize all of the parts that you got from your analysis into something new from the ground up. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, so parents, character we can see from pretty much the first episode on um he's carrying baggage um he he's carrying um you know i suppose a lot of guilt um but there's also some kind of hidden communication or secret communication between nine and perrin um 
which a lot of people have sort of drawn conclusions from, but we're not, we don't really know. Um, but there's some kind of issue, pre-existing issue between Perrin and his wife uh, before um, she's unfortunately uh, killed in the first, is it the first, I can't remember if it's the first or the second episode. Um, first episode. It's the first episode. Okay. Um, what do you think that's all about? A lot of people have alluded to perhaps some, um, maybe a, a, a miscarriage has occurred previously, and that's why Nanya is aware of it. Uh, or maybe there are some other underlying issues. Some people have suggested uh, that it's connected in some way to Egwin. Where, where do you see that particular drama? Do you think they'll make more of it? I mean, there's not much time, is there? It's not a, it's not a soap opera. So... It's, that's funny that you say that because I've totally heard people say that The Wheel of Time is a soap opera because it never ended. And like in the beginning, it didn't end, but now that it's ended, you can't call it that anymore. I guess. Um, so with Layla, we can see the pregnancy thing, I think, is overblown because that was a pinky grab moment. There's three pinky grab moments in the first episode. One of them is at the forge, one of them is in bed, and then one of them is when she's dying. Mm -hmm. So we can see continuity here that Layla loves Perrin very much um, through this gesture of this repeating gesture, whether he's awake or asleep, whether he can feel her squeeze his pinky or not. Um, she is definitely in love with him and definitely not a dark friend or I really don't think the pregnancy thing uh, or miscarriage or whatever makes a lot of sense. The okay. nine-inch component of this, including like the insinuations of Egwene being involved, seems like drama that Nanive is just so starved for romance in her life. She's <laughs> living vicariously through her friends. It seems like this is singularly a Nanive problem and we see that not only in the first episode with her being like oh yeah well you know you need to go home to your wife you know and he's just like uh oh, whatever um I think uh parent is hard to read and people have a difficulty uh understanding where he's coming from which is exactly like the books and I think that Perrin is probably hesitant and doesn't have a lot of confidence in his marriage or, you know, his love life, which, you know, mm. it just seems like he's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm doubtful about everything. The only thing he really knows is that he loves his friends. <laughs> and like, that's where Perrin seems the most relaxed and easygoing and confident is when he's with Ren and Matt. Mm. and I guess and with Egwene too so that that circle of friends of Matt Egwene Perrin and Ran and then the addition of like their leader Nani that's what makes Perrin confident and then you know the naive comments about Egwene that's that sort of love life with Layla and being a professional in the town with money or whatever that that's not where he's confident mm. okay um i'm i am intrigued to see at what point 
they introduce Fayil. Um, because uh, yeah, as we know, the level of guilt that Perrin is currently exhibiting, it's not really conducive to the creation of a meaningful relationship thereafter. But they don't have much time in which to introduce her. And she is quite a big character within the story because all, if for no other reasons, then her family connections are, are pretty heavy too. As far as Bale goes, I don't think she should be introduced until Perrin has that coming out moment of being a wolf brother. Uh, he's kind of played with wolves a little bit so far in the series, but the reason why Perrin and Layla happen in episode one is because they didn't have, it didn't seem right in the show to have Perrin killing white cloaks so they had to have that killing and the the killer Perrin has to appear somewhere in the first season where's Perrin going to kill how is Perrin going to kill um, and that had to happen in the first season now we have now we're going into the second season Perrin needs to kill with uh, authority, I want to say he needs to be, he needs to authorize himself to kill. And that needs to happen before he meets fail because he has violence and then he has nonviolence and they're, they're out of whack. And then he adds violence again um, in the sort of return this third part of the trilogy the violence returns and then it then it comes out and it's it's wild and it needs to be balanced and fail becomes that balance and that's when i think that character is going to show up okay all right and 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 hopper i mean we clearly um see hopper survive the encounter with the white cloaks so this also kind of changes that particular narrative which is not a problem because you know hopper he maintains that uh the, the role there as as, as teacher um, and guide throughout practically throughout uh, the the book series as well uh, but in this way with hopper staying alive it changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Um, but also, how do you think they're going to show the communication? Um, there was a very silent communication when Hopper licked Perrin's wounds. Um, and the wounds heal, do they not? Or at least a little bit. Yeah. Is there yeah. a certain magic there then that we're looking at? Because that, that wasn't really there in the books. So... In the show, we have two people with significant injuries from trollic poison. One of them is Moraine and one of them is Perrin. Moraine has Lan do some field uh, medic stuff on her. Uh, and that's, that's a weak beginning. And then we have Nanive come in with a stronger... Uh, reconsideration of her wounds and then finally Moraine gets Aes Sedai healing which is what she needed her wound was more significant Perrin's wasn't as significant um, but he did nothing in the 
beginning and then he got uh, the lick from the wolves. So I think the wolves have some sort of anti, in the show, the wolves have some sort of anti uh, shadow spawn capabilities. Whereas in the books, they simply have their hatred. And since they couldn't express the hatred of the wolves for Shadow Spawn, they had to manifest it some way in the show. And I think that sort of magical healing um, is going to make more sense in a visual uh, context. And I don't think we're ever going to see the wolves talk. It's probably going to be like Heron sees a wolf in real life, and that's the signal that he's going to go into the dream world that night so we'll see the live wolf and it won't i mean it'll probably i mean in my mind it's hopper but in the show the wolf probably won't have a name mm. but it'll probably be like a visual signal parent is walking and sees a wolf in real life and then that'll signal to the viewer or the audience um, we're gonna get a dream sequence tonight mm. also there was no elias makera unless i'm mistaken um it's going to be, it, it would be interesting uh, if Elias comes in uh, at some point. And maybe they, they, because in the books, Elias warns Perrin to stay out of Teller and Riyadh or the wolf dream. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not they, they actually use Elias as a kind of guide for Perrin in the TV show and there, thereby giving the wolf dream voice other than Perrin's. Uh, I think you say Elias. I, I just say Elias. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go for it. I have no idea how these pronunciations work. I always used to say Kerhin, but it's Kyrian. So, yeah. I, I think I say it a little bit more like you, but okay. I, I say, uh, I say Elias. And that looks, that looks like a prime uh, cameo role. Like okay. a really an expensive actor uh whoever they get would appear um in between when Perrin is getting into some dangerous experimentations and before Perrin uh fully manifests his power and uh becomes like you know the the powered up end game character for the last book. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, we haven't talked about Rand much, but that's fair enough. I mean, I, I think he's he's very muted um, in in this, this TV show so far. Um, he he has a few uh, frustrated outbursts, but that's all we really see from him. No, um, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, okay. He does have a few jokey sessions with Dana and so on. Um, but he's generally speaking quite negative. Um, but obviously you're going to disagree with that. So please <laughs> tell me where well, my no, recollections like that, are wrong. That was his, uh, that was Rand's line. And one of the, I, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny that like, I was like, oh, that's Rand. That's totally Rand. He would just go around screaming no. Uh, but yeah, he seems he seems all over the place in the first season. Um, mm. 
I mean, he's past puberty, so it's not that clearly because uh, the TV show, they've made yeah. the, these characters a bit older than the books. Um, but Rand is kind of like the homeschooled kid of the group where he might be smart and uh, he might be able to show uh, affection, uh, but group dynamics aren't his strong suit, I guess. Mm. Uh, he but he's got a... fun. Uh, really the first season was all about moraine so you couldn't just have ran the white savior like main star of the show season one he had to just be in the background and he got he got to tell his jokes he got to be a whiny like tantrum thrower he got to be uh, the resolute action taker. Um, he got to be the tortured soul. He got to be everything you'd expect from Rand in a book or a, a season. I'm overall satisfied with him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the show. Um, I, I think it's he brilliant. Have, he should have better hair. Like, he really should have better <laughs> hair. I, I, look, I can't complain. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just happy to have a little bit of hair left. Um, uh, so I'm not going to start complaining about Rand's hair. But no, I, I love the show, and I, I think all of the elements are, you know, intriguing. Um, I, I'm trying to work things out a little bit because I, I was left a bit bemused by uh, the, the final episode, um, in a sense that. And I, and I haven't watched it back again. So you've watched this several times. So you definitely have the benefit of that, uh, uh, of, of more greater wisdom than I do. Um, but for example, with regards to the last episode, without revealing any particular details, but at some point, he has to join up with um, Lan again. I mean, who's going to teach him the sword? Because so far, know. we've seen no training. Um, and I don't know. He sucks really. Yeah. And we've seen him suck with the sword too. He gets it like stolen and he sucks with the sword. Uh, maybe, maybe in season two, he'll get the challenges that we saw like in uh, Camelin. We saw him mm. uh, dealing with people who recognized what kind of sword he had. Mm. And then along the way, people coveted the sword so i think the stuff from rand and the sword from book one is going to come into play in season two where people are going to recognize that he has the sword people are going to challenge him and then we're going to start to see a little bit of tavern action come along where he just happens to have the sword out and win in the sword fight or whatever so Maybe see some white cloaks. Uh, maybe see some political factions, and then we're going to see him pull the sword out a few times. Mm. Who's going to Who's going to guide him away from his first uh, mistake? Is it going to be Tom? Do you think Tom's going to teach him, or will Lan and Warren catch up with him? That's a good question. I mostly I've, I've been wondering how is. Mostly, I've been wondering how is Rand going to fight um, the Dark One. I haven't really thought about is he good because he's never like he. There's all these scenes where it's they show him 
being really good with the sword in the books and then like ultimately we find out like none of that sword sword play matters because he's just tavern or whatever so it's like if there's going to be a great sword fight in the wheel of time it's probably not going to be randall thor as one of the fighters mm. well he he uses the sword or practicing the sword as a means of finding the void uh, to yeah. comfort himself, to escape from the reality in which he finds himself. I mean, I, I think we can all uh, pretty much find some, you know, kind of sense in that because I mean, what you know, I play basketball um, and I, yeah, I love it. And when I'm on the court, um, you know, the world is essentially that rectangular shape and the two hoops um, and the people on 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 the court with me, and you know, nothing exists beyond that. Uh, as it were. So, I mean, I, I can completely understand why uh, a character, a troubled character such as Rand would find so much solace in, in, in practicing the sword. Um, so we need to see him do it. Yeah. That's funny because they said uh, that all the actors participated in martial arts training. So it wasn't just Rand, it's not necessarily like who's who's good at sword play in the books is getting the practice in the cast. Like the showrunners, for whatever reason, have been training everybody in it and everything. So I do think that combat is going to come to these characters uh, more in the future. I just don't know. It's gonna have to be. It's gonna have to be part of the story somehow, and it can't just be gratuitous, like, uh, like shy, like the ale woman in the show. I guess Shail was it? Shail, yeah. yeah. I don't know if they reveal, but like I, there's so it's so weird because people keep on referencing the characters and places and things in the show with book information. And I'm like, they never say that in the show though. So can we actually say her name is Shiel when I don't have my subtitles on? Yeah, but it has to be right because I mean, Tam Althor is the one who takes the child. So it can't be anyone else, I guess. But like Rand's horse coming out of the two rivers in the show, Rand is riding a horse and the horse is taking them out of the two rivers. In, in the books, the name of the horse is Cloud. And then in the show, we never get that information. But the horse has to be Cloud. Like, the, the there's only one horse that could be, and that's Cloud. Mm. So uh, it's confusing sometimes to hear people reference things. And I'm like, did they say that? Like, when did they say that? What, what, was, this, what was the shot? Mm. What was the dialogue? What was the episode? Who was the character? Well, the, the only horse that they decided had to be mentioned was Bella uh, for some reason. Um, now, B Bella stays with us for a long time. Um, and, and so, therefore, there seems to be a, a serious horse following in the fandom for, for, for Bella. Um, but, I mean, another factor of, uh, of the story, which I thought was fantastic, Maybe because it was so uh, short, as it were, with regards to time span, was the arrival of these um, people by boat at the end. 
Um, yeah. yeah, how did you feel about that? I mean, were you, were you expecting it for a start? I don't think I was expecting that at all. Maybe I saw, it's weird for me because I often will see, that would have been impossible. I would not have been able to see spoilers for um, the last scene of the last episode before the episode aired. So I had to have seen it uh, live in the show. I don't, like, as soon as it happened, I knew exactly who they were. I was more surprised to see a little girl, like, personally. I was like, whoa, what? Oh, little girl, like, who is this? I don't remember this happening. And then once I saw the boats, I was like, I was like, oh, I know enough. Now I'm relaxed again. I know exactly, even though that little girl's dead. But mm. <laughs> well, is, she, is she, I mean, is, did she die? I guess she didn't die on screen, but it seemed to imply that... Uh, mm. But that's not consistent with what we know of this. Of the, oh, do you want to mention the names? It's okay to mention the names, yeah. Oh, the, the, yeah sure. It's your Sean, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Shan. Let's say it. What? What the hell? Yeah. Even though I, when I read, whenever I read it, it's Sianshan, but I know it's Sean Shan. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We know these people are not bloodthirsty in the sense that they just arrive in, a, in an environment and kill everyone, they ask them, are you true to the oaths? Yeah, or have yeah. you taken the oaths? And then are you true to the oaths? Um, and if somebody takes the oaths, and then that's it, they're, they're free to go about their business. So, I mean, this, it's not necessarily the case that uh, the people on the beach die, is it? That's true. Uh, I, I really don't know what to expect. Uh, I was excited to see like, their cool costumes and their cool boats and to see more channeling. Uh, I guess I didn't, I knew, like, I was like, we're at the end of the episode. Nothing is going to come of this. They're just teasing. It. I knew mm. it was a teaser. That's how I sort of accepted it. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, they got, they got the costumes. They got all the, the looks and the, the terrain grill and all the cool stuff. So. Hmm. what is your i mean because you uh you also allude to it in in the notes here um what is your take on the on the damani uh, and the sultan um within the story from what we know of it of course um and also the reputation of people who can channel generally um in certain places um what do you think about that particular sort of culture that the Shan represent? From what we know of, again, I look at the Wheel of Time very schematically. So what we have is the center uh, landmass, and then we have the surrounding landmasses, and I guess the Sea Folk too. So we get Ale, Sea Folk, the Land of Mad Men, Sharans and then the, the Shan Chan and each one of the cultures deals with their channelers differently so the Shan Chan were just one um, like one component of the schematic and so I didn't really think of them like oh i hate them so much they have sl they're slavers and that, like that really didn't factor into my mind at all when i thought about to specifically 
a lot of people are like she represents slavery and for me it doesn't that doesn't factor into like there's no i don't make a moral judgment about the character of Tawan based on the society she comes from or this faction she comes from. It's perfectly all right to me. It's just more uh, more drama to shovel into the mix. Mm. I mean, what, what strikes me also is quite interesting and uh, whether this was also sort of inherent in Robert Jordan's notes that he left for Brandon Sanderson or whether Brandon Sanderson decided to include this in his um, um, internal speech for Rand. Um, when Rand was considering the area that belonged or was under the banner of the dragon where there were people who were starving they um there was no discipline um and, and that essentially he had created that or allowed for that situation to develop whereas when he went then to ebu dar and saw how society was under the control of the shawnchan and he sort of marveled at the fact that there was there was peace, there was prosperity, there was food. Um, people seemed to be living quite well uh, within that. Um, and he was very critical of himself, this sort of internal speech. Um, how, how do you take that representation of, of this? Because you, you've, I mean, you've considered it totalitarian uh, with regards to the Shawnshan. Um and yet the people seemed quite happy that's an interesting uh, sort of contradiction isn't it I, I really think that the dark one very specifically was out to get in Rand's head and this is one example of it working extremely well. One of his uh, lieutenants or one of his champions very much had a hand in his, uh, in Rand's perception of uh, Eb Eben, ben, Bandar Eben, Bandar ben, Eben, Bandar all, Eben. That, all that poverty was. Um, and the thing is, like, Rand stepped in and was like, hey, I, I came back one more time and, and helped you out one more time. But then he kept on going to all of his lieutenants and being like, I can't be here every time. We need to start figuring out how to get things done without me being there. Uh, and you saw that with the meeting I mean, they had a big meeting at the end of the book series before um, the last battle started. And it wasn't about this hard total control framework surrounding and protecting everyone. It was about an agreement, like everyone comes to the table, everyone shakes hands and we all walk away with a certain level of responsibility Whereas if you walk into the Shan Chan's conquered realms, there's very much a sense from the citizen, the citizenry, like 
we aren't ultimately responsible for anything. Like nothing, like I own my business, but I'm not ultimately responsible for my business. Um, and this whole idea of like, oh, there's the blood and they're walking down the street and there's something fundamentally different about them. And that's, they are responsible. Like they own, they not they own my business, but like my business exists for and like of them. Mm. And once you get to the end of the series and you show what Rand's plan uh, comes to in the end, you really get this sense that once this new age begins, there's um, tremendous possibility for, you know, this exceptional move towards industrialization, which is kind of where everyone is moving in the series. It's like we're we're right at the cusp of becoming industrial. And I think Rand's plan works a lot better than the Sean Chan's plan. Mm -hmm. But then it, I mean it's it's convenient for us obviously to say that um even though we're also aware um of one of the possible future visions that uh, Avienda has that things don't necessarily work out that way either. Yeah. Avienda's visions are pretty uh, apocalyptic mm. for, for some of our friends and then really progressive seeming for some of the people we don't like uh, very much. But she she ends up, we know that that, that future isn't true because she steps up at Rand's meeting hmm. and says something. Yeah. She's also quite... Um, she isn't very outspoken. She's very analytical. She keeps... And she's very disciplined. She doesn't say too much when she could say stuff. But she tends to be very direct in her speech. I, I find her a very um, powerful character but also very economical um, with regards to the amount of the amount of time she takes up and what she achieves in, in that small amount of time um do you think they're going to do this uh four-way thing we don't have to mention the individuals involved you know what i'm talking about do you think they're yeah. going to go through um, with that i've heard that they're going to make it um instead of everyone together uh it's gonna be one after another like okay like the main character goes through a series of relationships over the course of the, the uh -huh. series okay <coughs> i don't think i it's not absolutely necessary for Rand to have the same relationships but uh everyone from the books i think should be included and i I mean, we already have a lot of casting announcements, so it seems that a certain amount is going to happen. Hmm. I mean, he's already had a, f a physical encounter with Eggween, um, which is also contrary to to the books. I mean, it doesn't I don't have to highlight that fact, but I mean, in itself, it's that's quite uh, uh, interesting. 
Uh, Brandon, I really, I think that can only be good for the show and for the fandom because shipping is one, in my opinion, shipping is one of the main uh, pillars of fandom. Like you have to have relationships and you have to have the fans want people to be together even if they're not supposed to be together. Okay. That's a really clear relationship um, that fans can pick up and support and then other fans are like that doesn't that can't happen it won't happen it shouldn't happen uh, and that is good because it, it there's a conflict there that's mm. fun um, for fans to engage in yeah I mean I have to also say when Rand encounters a specific person in the White Tower when he reveals his uh, intentions to her. Um, I, I think this particular physical element, um, it, it's, it's a kind of good background to that. And I really hope they're going to keep that meeting that happens later on uh, in the story. Um, because the tension that uh, is referred to, um, experienced by the Ameline, I can say that at least. Um, we've got some background to that now. That, that is really interesting. It's weird because in the books, Rand meets the Amerlin uh, in Faldera, but I don't think that's going to happen in the show. Mm. can't happen in the show. Well, he's, yeah. not going to... <laughs> he's not there anymore, is he? So... Uh... So that meeting and then re-meeting, because he gets to see her when she's at the height of her power. Yeah, we're talking about different Amelins here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That Amerlin, he's gonna. When is he gonna meet her? I mean, we know that Camelin is a location in season two, so. Oh no no that's not that not that Amelin either. Oh great! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. oh that yeah. I guess he's gonna meet her at the height of her power later on too. <laughs> yeah. So many Amerlins. Yeah, but you see what I mean about that—the background to that particular that final meeting. Oh, you? I get what you're trying to say. Is he gonna be like? I know who you are. I don't think that's going to factor in. I don't think Rand would do that because he obviously really loves Egwene in the books and he obviously really loves Egwene in the show. But we've mm. already seen Rand say things that he didn't mean to Egwene in the show. But he's at peace with himself, though, when he meets her. It's her insights that are, you know, Fluttering. exploding yeah um maybe that's the tavern or i don't know but um i think know. at that point in time ran was just super hot <laughs> yeah super he hot. was wasn't he yeah all of the uh the i said i were i can't believe you uh you kept your cool the way that you did so it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how that works out with all of these uh i said i these powerful beings and then almost uh, sort of 
you know, shaking or quivering as, as Rand strides past. There's a few times in the books when Rand's like, you know, I could just force you to do whatever I want by bending the power, by bending the pattern to my will right now. Like I can just control it and make you do things. And then a number of times, very powerful minded people were like, no, like, no, you can't. I'm still me. You, you can bend the pattern around yourself, but I'm still me. Did it. The, the more I think about it, the, the, there's just so much to look forward to in this in this developing saga. Um, yeah, let, let's move on a little bit to the the the, uh, the Twitter of time um, general fandom. Um, it's it's up and down really for me because I, I see lots of people coming together. I see you are a prime example of somebody who really welcomes uh, sort of new members and newcomers uh, to to the fandom. Um, but but I also see lots and lots of others do so as well. But then there are other occasions when um you know people seem to say things which are taken you know perhaps beyond uh, the beyond the intentions that they initially represented uh, and there's quite a bit of uh, toxicity there um do you think that's normal in a fandom or do you think with the uh, weed of time it's it's a little bit exaggerated i think uh the wheel of time has a few identity problems where they're trying to project a, an identity on themselves when the fans the fans you mean the fans are projecting an identity on themselves as a fandom very often like this is who we are this is who we are uh, i don't really think that's necessary for uh in what i would term success uh we can have you know, many different kinds of identities. Like some, some people could have a, a bad interaction with some fans. Um, and I would hope that that doesn't reflect on everyone. Uh, and I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm really nice to people and sometimes I'm really mean to people. And I really try to mix it up as much as I can so that <laughs> no, no one can, no one can be like, this is exactly who this person is. Like, I don't want to be exactly anyone. I want to be different all the time. And the only thing that's going to be consistent about my Twitter account is the fact that I keep on posting everything under the hashtag from the, the show account. So I don't know. Okay. And is that with the article or without? I keep forgetting. Is it the Wheel of Time or is it Wheel of Time? The, I always... the same. It's the same as the official Twitter handle of the show, which is the Wheel of Time. Okay. So there is a handle that is without the article at Wheel of Time. And you can tell that this person is trying to sell the handle to either Brandon Sanderson or uh, Harriet McDougall. Like the, uh -huh. the last tweet from the from the account is like, hey, if any like I'm trying to give this to people, but they're not coming into contact with me. And that's in like 2016. So at Wheel of Time, last tweet was in 2016. But the hashtag, hashtag Wheel of Time is like 
not as popular as the the wheel of time mm. but it's still splitting um the promotional uh i can't think of the word uh, we have a certain amount of uh potential as a mm. fandom and i think that confusing the hashtags we use um, really puts a damper on our ability to promote the show and get our brand across to new fans. You mentioned this last week as well um, in, in the, the, the episode that won't be published because of my audio you know, faux pas. Um, but they're, they're, like the show, they, they also did uh, contributed to this mess, though, didn't they? Because you mentioned that they had the hashtag Lan, hashtag Moiraine, hashtag Eggween. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that essentially it was too, too, there are too many hashtags connected to the show is what you were saying. Well, now the hash, they, they paid for hash flags, which are the little emojis that happen after the hashtag, but that's not in uh, circulation anymore. Okay. Uh, have no hash flags at the moment because that's a paid promotion that the company has to pay for. So okay. hopefully next season when we pay for our hash flags we will focus on one hashtag and give the hash flag to that. I mean the little sort of I don't they're almost like chibi emojis that we got for the characters were fun but I don't know because it's really it's a link to content if you want to see hot pictures of Daniel Henney then you can hashtag LAN hashtag LAN and that should bring up hot pictures of Daniel Henney in his LAN costume I mean, I would if I clicked on land, that's what I would hope to find. It's like mm. pictures of him, videos of him, like memes, uh, what like quotes. I would hope that it would bring me to content related to that character. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I don't recall having really set about tweeting the, the, the these name tags of the main characters because uh, i mean wh where would you start i mean my favorite character matt uh, unfortunately he his character has had to go through a certain amount of um variance uh, in that uh, from season two on he's going to be represented by um, a different character or a different actor which i don't have a problem with um you know it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, I, mean, I don't think that's going to affect the, the story uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, but but how, do you see, how do you see the story developing? Because as far as I'm aware, when Rafe hasn't simply um, thought about the first two, three or four seasons, he's actually plotted the entire story for however many seasons that he has planned so for him with the exception of episode seven and eight because apparently um the issues with barney harris who plays matt and also uh, the corona pandemic 
played a bit of havoc with their planning. So they had to improvise a little bit. But still, I mean, he's got all of his storylines set out already. Um, and not just him, but also, uh, what's the name of the, Sarah McNamara, yeah? Or Nakamura? Nakamura? Uh, Nakamura. Nakamura, yeah. Yes. So, um, so these two have basically got their, the, the, the whole story um, all, already and they're just going to sort of go ahead with it um yeah i mean my, my understanding of their relationship is rafe has a uh has a structure that he's designed that he hasn't filled it in yet you okay know, he makes requests to nakamura for book content so he says i want this to happen as far as the episode we start here we end here so i need you to find the content from the book to fill in um, the in-between bits and so first off she'll look at what rafe has written and say like this is possible like we can do this or she'll say this is impossible you can't do that because it doesn't work and then he'll have to come up with a new structure like he'll rough draft it and then she'll fill it in and then they'll work on future drafts together okay but but they've already done this is isn't to a, to a great extent this has already been accomplished because um I, I think there's a lot of more work that has to be done from what i've heard described there's a lot more work that's going to have to be done for every single season they only okay. have a vague outline of what they want to accomplish and it's based on the plot points in the books so they're like very vaguely we want to cover these major plot points in the final season and then i think what i've heard is they have a set of plot points that can fill either um, if we have 10 seasons, seasons eight and nine, or if we have eight seasons, season seven. So it's like once you get to the end, the end game of the books, they could easily fill in more seasons with more plot <laughs> from sure. the books, or they could hack it off at eight seasons. And then each season is the same way. So even if um, Judkins would have rather 10 episodes for the first season, or if the first episode was three hours long instead of one, he has the plot points to shove into each season. Um, and he can expand it out as much as he wants, but it seems like there's these milestones that he want that he has envisions for each season already, if mm. not the entire um, season written out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess obviously if the financial budget is, uh, I mean, it's very high, uh, but it's there's still a budget, so I mean, they can't just do twenty episodes for a season. Um, but I guess also there is a certain amount of um, consideration towards the actors' careers um, that they have to dedicate more or less, I suppose, eight seasons of uh, preparations and then promotions um, to this. 
whole thing um and thereafter you know fandom conferences and um you know people coming together so i mean i, I guess they can't create on a limited number of seasons because you know the actors have got their own careers as well i mean yeah you know, if i sign up to be a character if i'm like a uh, a trollic then yeah you know, i can't be a trollic for the next 20 years i want to do something else you know uh, i would imagine um and so these people must be the same i guess i've heard about daniel Haney signing a contract for two years and i it must be exactly that they can't have all of these actors signed up for eight years already they have to be negotiating for whatever they can get mm. so as far as like i followed the um the human resources sorts of sort of person for the wheel of time and she likes to promote the projects her talent is involved in and it seems like the cast is well represented and is being looked after and i think if we get to see all eight seasons of the wheel of time or more the the cast is going to be uh, well compensated and given the freedom to to explore their careers outside of of the wheel of time. Mm -hmm. No, okay, all right. And um, one final question, though it's a little bit uh, convoluted. Amazon, um, fantastic productions i'm not going to talk about their um yeah, employment rules and the reputation that they have with regards to that because um yeah it would be far too uh, inconvenient to put that into this particular um appreciation show for one of their products they've got a prequel trilogy of movies they've got the ring of power They've got the Wheel of Time. They're obviously heavily invested in, in the genre. Um, what do you think the strategy is? Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like a never-ending supply. I mean, they've got at least the next eight to nine years more or less tied up with regards to this genre, um, just with all of that. Um, yeah, why? To increase the subscriptions to Prime, more and more people need to subscribe to Prime every single year uh, to make the company successful. Like the company can't be successful on its own terms without an ever increasing number of subscriptions. And they, there has to be some sort of computation happening. Like we we can throw this much money in there and then we get this many subscriptions back from it. And it seems to be the wheel of time, at least from what I've seen, from what I've seen, seems to have changed the way people look at Amazon Prime. Because before, in my opinion, before the wheel of time i didn't really see anything exciting except for um 
John Ryan, John Ryan, Jack Ryan, Jack, Jack Ryan. Ryan, Jack Ryan, and yeah. For me, bef before Jack Ryan, there was no Amazon Prime, and after Jack Ryan, I was like, "This is a real thing." But then I saw Jack Ryan season two, and it wasn't as good as the first one. <laughs> okay. So I was all like, right. they need, they need, they need new stuff all the time, and it can't just be the wheel of time. It has to be an ever increasing number of options for people to, to watch in order to get those subscriptions up. Have you not seen Bosch? I should. I haven't seen it. Um... Okay, Bosch is brilliant. All of the characters yeah. are fantastic. It's not just Titus Welliver. It's all of them. They're fantastic. My whole my whole life is the wheel of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, yeah. Um, Drab, you you've been a great sport uh, to come back again. I mean, we changed uh, the discussion this week, but thank you very much. Um, it was great for you uh, to have you back again, um, but also just uh, you know to do me the favor um, of coming back, considering I'd screwed up the the audio. So thank you for that too. All right, it was great being here, Zach. I hope Two. to uh, be on your and show again. Good night. Two. 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 And a mic.